Hello and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I'm Kate Fisher and I'm your host. I've written this podcast to give blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. It creates a space for recipients and the people who love them to tell their stories of survival. It documents the remarkable lives they go on to live, the contributions they make to their communities and the joy that they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guest that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. Milkshakes for Mali is the name of the lifeblood team of donors who were inspired to donate plasma and other blood products after hearing the story of our amazing five-year-old daughter Mali, who has seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. For her, plasma infusion is both life-preserving and when she relapses, it is life-saving. Having a child with a complex, life-threatening health condition brings many things into clarity for a family. We've had friends that have become like family, felt the sting of disappointment from people who we expected to be able to rely on, people who we expected would open their arms to our family and instead they looked away. And then we have found unconditional love and support in the strangest of places. At the time that Marley first became unwell, today's guest, Phil Davis, was captaining the GWS Giants alongside Callan Ward. At one of the games that the Giants played in Canberra, Marley had a seizure in the crowd and was taken away via ambulance in her little Giants jersey. The team from the Giants tracked us down to see if she was okay and I shared a little of her story. From that point onwards, they have been such an incredible source of support to our family. This has ranged from donating prizes to the charity ball our beautiful friends organised to help raise the $30,000 we needed to purchase Marley's seizure response service dog Patty to visits to Thomas and Campbell's school to pull them out of their classrooms and kick a football with them while their envious classmates watched out the window. It's been Phil recording video messages for Thomas and Campbell to lift their spirits when Marley and I spent months in hospital in Sydney and our family was all separated. And it's been Callan showing up to Marley's bedside in the paediatric neurology ward at the Sydney Children's Hospital, hobbling on crutches after tearing his ACL that would see him miss the GWS Giants' first grand final appearance. It's the offers to deliver coffee and food to the hospital to me or to kick a football with the boys while Jeff and I had some really difficult conversations with doctors. It's been the text messages to check if we need anything and the constant reassurance that the players will do anything that they can to distract our kids and keep them smiling. What has been priceless about this is that probably 99% of it has been done away from the cameras. It hasn't been for social media or to paint the players as the good guys. It's just because they have genuinely cared and because one very special little girl and the love of her big brothers stole the hearts of these men. We will open the podcast today by welcoming a new co-host to our show, our 11-year-old son, Thomas. Thomas is neurodiverse and a fanatical GWS Giants fan. There is nobody that can give better statistics or commentary and nobody else who supports the team with such a deep passion. I've asked him to help me on the show today as I needed a sports expert and he is the best one that I know. Here is our chat with Phil Davis from the GWS Giants. Hey Phil, how are you going? 
Great, how are you? Yeah, we're really good, thank you. But Thomas is going to jump in first and he's going to oh, ask you some questions. Are you excited, Thomas? Are you, are you ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. What have you got afterwards? A basketball game. He's got a basketball game. Oh, no. Well, best of luck. Because what do we do over summer? Basketball. Basketball over summer, AFL over winter. It sounds like what I did. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into it, Brady? Yep. All right. So what we'll say... Do you want to start from here? Okay, so we'll say welcome to the Milkshakes for Miley podcast and then you can get into it, okay? Yeah. You go for it. Well, that's when we're signing with a new contract with the Giants. Yes, very excited. Yeah, so I did that the other day, which was nice to, to stay there and finish my career. I've obviously been there for a long time now. I think this will be going into season 11. So I'm surprised they're not sick of me, but it's nice to... Uh, do another year there and uh, yeah, stay there for the remainder of my career. Yep. How do you think COVID changed the season? Yeah, it felt half normal for the first sort of couple of months. Um, a few bits and pieces here and there, but um, it got it got back to what it did in 2020, which was move us all from our homes, which was, uh, you know, disappointing, however, you know, there are bigger things at play than sitting at home Monday to Friday and living out of your own comfort home. So it was nice to get started, but there was no doubt it made a, a significant difference um, once again. But hey, got to see more of a more of Australia. Who was your favorite AFL team growing up? Favorite AFL team growing up. Um, this is a bit of a strange one. I actually was more of a player fan. So I loved. Um, there was a player called Byron Pickett um, who played at North Melbourne. And then he went to Port Adelaide and he was, uh, he was my favourite player. So I sort of followed him, which meant um, got a bit of North Melbourne and Port Adelaide growing up. And then, uh, but I was never a diehard fan or anything like that. Not like you. You're a diehard fan, yeah. aren't you? Diehard fan of who, Thomas? Who are you a diehard fan of? The Giants, of course. Yes, good man, Thomas. I know I'm your favourite player, so that's okay. <laughs> We get to that further down the question list. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Looking forward to that. Did you play any other sports besides AFL when you were growing up? Yeah, I played, uh, what did I do? I did soccer first and then basketball, football and cricket. So, and, and I played water polo as well. Yep. You've got it as well. Yep. Who was your favourite? Who was your favourite sports uh, who doesn't play in the, in the AFL? Ooh, favourite sports. That's a good question. Um I sort of had a fascination with LeBron James for a long time. Um, it's still it's still sort of there. I think it, it, he's a relatively amazing athlete. And then, you know, I sort of like anyone that is at the peak of their game. So whether it be Federer or Nadal, sort of the tennis world is always uh, extremely interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, and also, if I, you know, then you go to soccer and you've got Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. So um, I must admit, I sort of just get drawn to whoever the best is, which is a bit, uh, yeah. bit simple, isn't it? <laughs> who, who do you think who do you think is a better player Toby Green or Callan Ward good question Toby Green or Callan Ward uh, well I, I it's a it's a tough one to split they're both my teammates they both have got a great great characteristics I think um, I look across my career and I haven't played with too many players more consistently good than Cal Ward yeah. but then at the same time I don't think I've played with 
many players that have hit the peaks that Toby Green's been out of peak. So it's a very close battle, and I'm glad that they're both on my side. Yep, you've got it. Thank you. Thank you for doing so much for my sister and my family. We love the Giants and we think it's going to be an in 2022. Thomas, absolutely my pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for asking good those job, great matey. questions. You were very, very good. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I'll see you after your game, okay? Good luck. You have just made his yeah. He's so excited. Oh, oh that's great. That's great. He did a very Thank good job. So I'm sure he would have been nervous. No, no, he, my pleasure. Yeah, he's been pumped. He got out of bed this morning and he was ready to go. He's like, do we practice the oh. questions now? And I was like, no, bud, we'll do it when you get home. Otherwise, you'll be just stressed about it all day at school today. No, he did a great job. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he enjoyed it. Um, so you Beautiful. met Thomas, who you just spoke to when he was a junior mascot at a game at Marnacle Oval. Not yes. the game yes. that it snowed that year, although I think he was your junior no, no, mascot no. that night too. Um, while Thomas was running you guys out onto the field, his three-year-old sister Marley was in the stands having quite a significant seizure. Um, she was taken from the grounds in an ambulance and she was protesting quite significantly in her little Giants jersey because she didn't want to leave her boys, being both you guys and her brothers. She was very, very unimpressed. Um, what do you remember about the first time you became aware of our family? Yeah, you know, I, I guess you sort of along the way hear certain special stories and you know, significant stories. And I guess uh, one thing about about football and sport is that it, it can bring people together. And I guess from my point of view, it brought the Fisher family to, in particular to the Giants and sort of, um, yeah, obviously I think we all just hope that our children and families can have happy and healthy lives. And I guess mm-hmm. when it, when you sort of have, especially young children like Marley, it, it, is, it is of specific note um, and it, it touches you. And I guess, from our point of view, obviously, Cal, you guys and Cal Water are close to it. I yeah, guess absolutely. it means to us that, you know, it is of significance. And, um, you know, because, you know, you think about Marley and, and Thomas and they're just so so young and for Marley at three years old to be just sitting there watching a game of football and have such a harrowing experience from then on. Yeah. Um, you know, it definitely, it definitely touches because, you know, especially at the Giants, we like to keep the community nice and tight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when, when when someone in the community is having some tough times, it definitely, um, yeah, it, it hits at, it hits home. Mm. Um, so in later that year, so we actually didn't know what was wrong with Marley at that stage, but probably about a month after that game, um, she was airlifted from Canberra to Sydney for the first time to a paediatric intensive care unit. Um, she was in a critical condition um, and before she started responding to the plasma-based treatment that has stopped her immune system from wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign and attacking them. Um, your fellow co-captain, Callan Ward, came and saw her just after she had got out of PQ, um, came in on crutches into the neurology ward of the Sydney Children's Hospital. Um, and from that time, they just developed a really strong connection. He and Marley are just magic when they're together. Ruby probably wouldn't be too thrilled that she refers to him as my Callan. He's my <laughs> Callan. Quite happy to That's share good. with Romeo. Not quite so happy to share with yeah. Ruby, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
they were profiled together, Marley and Callan, in a bit of media in the lead up to the 2019 grand final. And the real sentiment of that was that some things are just bigger than football. Obviously, he was gutted to miss that grand final. Mm. Um, but he very much talked about Marley's tenacity and her big fight against autoimmune encephalitis and putting all of that into perspective. Um, how hard is it to achieve that balance when you're so passionate about the game and your teammates and your profession? Yeah, I, I guess for me, I, I reflect on uh, Cal um, glowingly during that 2019. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you, yeah, he will talk about the most. I think prior to that injury, I actually hurt himself in the preseason and then came back for one quarter. Yeah. And, oh, actually, one contest and then did his knee. So he basically missed the whole year. Um, he hadn't really been injured before that. And I guess um, dealing with adversity is mm -hmm. always something that um, challenges all of us and can definitely uh, show certain characteristic traits. And I guess for one that I was so uh, uh, proud to see in Cal and, you know, amazed to see he just had great uh, perspective. And I, yeah. and I think, you know, if you look at him and, you know, his childhood and all those sort of things, um, it's put him in a great position. He's grounded so well. And I guess to be just before a grand final and still have that great perspective of, you know, there are worse things in life. But I think the thing about football is that you get to meet people that give you that perspective because if you get too caught up in the footballing world, the smallest things become important. And you yeah, just lose sure. that great sense of perspective. Mm -hmm. All right. In 2014, you suffered a kidney injury during a game against the Sydney Swans. Now, I've watched the footage of that game quite a few times, and it's hard to even pinpoint mm. the point at which the injury yeah. happened. Um, and I've read quite a few reports from it, and it's, you know, described as being a seemingly innocuous bump from a knee to everything from that to a horror kidney blow that looked like a car crash when they got in and had a good look. Um, did you have any idea how bad the injury was um, when it first occurred? Uh, no, no, it, it felt like a uh, relatively normal football incident. In the end, yeah, it was a it was a moderate knee at him moving at a moderate pace. So, you know, you get a million of those across your career. But this one, unfortunately, was the wrong angle, wrong time, wrong everything, mm -hmm. um, and did a fair bit of damage. But at the time, I just felt immediately winded, um, yeah. and obviously dismissed it because. Anyone that would keep on playing knowing that um, has rocks in their head. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just must admit, I just thought I'd hurt myself. Um, you know, something relatively superficial like my rib or, or something yeah. like that. So Cracked I just thought it was like, something. yeah, you're just like, oh, well, if, if it's just pain, um, yeah. you, just, you just find a way. Hope the adrenaline kicks in and just keep going. So, that's, that's it. <laughs> um, so I've watched interviews from that time um, and you are such a fresh-faced 23-year-old at the time. I, I did was... have a little giggle. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't look like me, does it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, the possibility of losing a kidney would have been a real concern for your sporting career, but did it occur to you at the time that had that blood product not been available and on hand for you, um, that your life would have been in danger as well when you were in that intensive care unit, um, not just at the time, but for the two subsequent surgeries as well, and that you could very well have died had they not had those bags of blood there ready to pump straight into you? Yeah, oh, without a doubt, I think I, I learned so much about um, sort of the medical world through that experience of which yeah. half of it I picked up after it all had happened, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. I sort of, I was sort of very, very lucky 
through the whole experience uh, to be guided by great medical professionals. I also very fortunate uh, with my mum being a doctor right. that she was able to give me, you know, advice, but also like information mm-hmm. that I didn't quite understand because the medical uh, world can be pretty daunting when, especially mm-hmm. we don't really know what they're, what, what they're saying. I'm sure you yeah. have experienced yeah. the same. Absolutely. My and that would have been first, a blessing and a curse for your mum yeah. as well because you'd want to just be there to emotionally support your child through something like that. Um, yeah, but definitely. she would have really understood how serious it was. So to put it no, into she perspective, was great. Yeah. put it into perspective for people if they don't know too much about how serious your injury was. So the morning after the injury, you went to the bathroom and instead of urine, you passed 700 mils of pure blood. You had a massive hematoma, which is kind of like a big blood blister around your kidney, and that was about the size of a football. Your kidney was so badly damaged that it was described as mush and some of the arteries were split. Your first surgery was three hours. Your second surgery, in which you were initially told that you would lose your kidney, took a further 14 hours and you required 18 bags of blood, including plasma, platelets and red blood cells. Before we had a child, we really didn't think too much about relying on blood product for survival, but obviously we have changed our view on that very mm. much with everything that Marley's been through. Um, how much have you reflected on the fact that blood donors kept you alive through that ordeal? Yeah, I guess just you know those uh, statistics, you forget some of them. I, I remember the the blood product number. I actually thought it was 21, but maybe 18. Maybe I'm just rounding. Maybe I'm, maybe <laughs> I'll, I'm rounding I'll trust up. you. Maybe it was 21. No, no, no. Maybe, <laughs> I think maybe it was I'm 18 bags for the last lot of surgery. They put 18 yeah. through. Yeah, I, I think reflecting upon it, um, I was, yeah, I was amazed at, you know, the, the amount. Um, I guess what it did was initially it kept um, my blood levels at a, an acceptable thing to see if I could heal naturally, um, mm-hmm. of which some of it was looking okay for a while. However, you know, it was able to buy me time, which is, you yeah. know, a, a real luxury at the time when, you know, for me, losing a kidney would have been losing my career, which would have been, yeah, you know, sure. as a 23-year-old, pretty traumatising. Absolutely. Uh, some, so I guess from that perspective, it was uh, <clears throat> it worked for twofold. One, to keep me going, and then and the second one, to buy me time. So mm-hmm. I guess that was a, a massive point for me. But, yeah, I, I think uh, personally I'm very fortunate that that was available to me because there's no doubt I'd still be playing football and, you know, obviously mm-hmm. worse consequences than that if things didn't go well. Um, but yeah, it's an area of life that uh, personally I had close to nil understanding of before. And yeah. you always hear about the donating of blood uh, and, and those things, mm-hmm. um, but not in the sense of how it can actually make a significant um, d- difference. And I guess for yeah. me, this, was that experience and one thing I'm very much looking forward to is as soon as I retire, I'm going to be a very, very consistent donor um, because it is such an important part of, um, you know, society, let alone just those one or two people you help with. I think it just gives us all great possibilities, Mm -hmm. especially in the medical. Yeah. Well, we look look forward to signing you up as a champion for the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team then. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So... Once your physical recovery and rehabilitation from an injury like that happened, and I imagine that was quite significant, just getting your levels of fitness back, just being in ICU for eight days and not getting up and moving around. Um, I'm sure you would have lost a bit of your muscle tone and all that kind of thing. Um, How did you get your head around getting back into contact sport again? Yeah, it was a a funny little experience, I guess. Um, Mm. You know, that we spoke about, I had a blood clot in my stomach 
of which all the dead blood had just poured into. And that was actually contributing to me to have some weight on my body because I'd lost right. an enormous amount of weight, so much so that my psychologist said I wasn't allowed to hop on the scale. Wow. Um, and I felt disgusting <laughs> mm. for a person whose uh, livelihood relies on a certain physical uh, performance. It was a relatively big shock, but Absolutely. I was guided by some uh, amazing medical people. You know, I had a great uh, surgeon, Dr. Paul Sped, who was my mm -hmm. urologist. And then Joe Lombardo was my doctor and Leo Lobo was my physio. And I guess you know, I was like, John Quinn was my sports science guy. And, and, and basically they all just said, we'll just take it bit by bit. And I yeah. think from that, there was no time pressure, which made a considerable difference. Um, mm -hmm. but they all had open minds and also my best interest at heart, which made a massive difference. But it was... I, I remember within being, so I was ended up yeah, eight days ICU, another six days just in the urologist ward. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just remember going home and I think two or three days later, mum took me for a drive and mm -hmm. we drove there a lot. There was a few speed bumps around the inner west of Sydney and we lasted about six minutes and I had to go home because I felt like yeah, I was right. going to vomit and I had to go and lie, mm -hmm. lie down. So, you know, it was, it was crazy. I think my first few bits of exercise was going for a 10 minute walk, which, yep. um, Considering the last thing I did was run 13 kilometers playing football, it was a, yeah, a considerable a considerable drop off. But mm -hmm. I, know, I, I must admit the body rebounded amazingly well, um, mm -hmm. which is ironic considering that was the the characteristic that got me in a lot <laughs> yeah. of trouble in the first place. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I guess I guess from my point of view, it, it was a physical challenge at the start, but then back end, it was a significant mental challenge to yeah. throw myself back into a position that, you know, when I reflect on it, it, it was a still a very highly emotional and stressful period of my life. Mm. Did you consider giving it away? Was it enough that you considered maybe doing something else with your life, especially being so young as well? You had plenty of time to look at other mm. options for a different career. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I had made the decision that if I had to lose my kidney, which was looking more likely than not, that mm -hmm. I would have retired retired immediately. But right. I, I remember being asked a question when I was going to get drafted in the draft process. They said, well, you know, why don't you choose another career? And I said, well, because I've only got X amount of time before my body's no good and I can't do it yeah. anymore. And I guess I yeah. always had that belief that um, the rest of the world will be waiting for me. I've, got to try to maximize this opportunity because when you're 50 you can't just decide to go and try your hand at football yeah absolutely uh, and, I, and at 23 I was extremely unfulfilled with my career um, mm -hmm. and I was and I was hungry to, to challenge myself and see what else what else I could do and I guess that was the driving motivator and yeah I didn't really contemplate it because I sort of always was of the belief that I was surrounded by amazing people that mm -hmm. were going to help me be physically safe if, if I was yeah, never right. safe I wouldn't have played but I always felt as though I was getting great advice that would mm -hmm. make me safe. And then it was up to me to get through a few hurdles physically and mentally to get out there. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you say that because we see a similar thing reflected in Marley. Um, this year, she has been able to go to kindy for a few hours a day, two days a week, which is so awesome. exciting. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. got one-to-one -one care, just, you know, seizure risk-wise and that kind of thing. And when I said that was my plan for her this year, her team were not thrilled putting an immunocompromised mm. child into a kindergarten where it's full of viruses yep. and snot and spew yes. and all of those yeah, things. Yeah. 
obviously we put some pretty good safeguards around it. So if they've got a gastro outbreak in the centre, the centre director calls me and just says, not yep. this week, she's not doing it this week. Um, but she said to me, why do my only friends get to be mummy and daddy and my brothers and the doctors and nurses? Why don't I get to have friends like everybody else? And, yeah. you know, you can't really argue with that. And I think it's a good from argument. a young age, they just, they just know what they want. And mm-hmm. she's now doing um, ballet dancing and jazz dancing. Fantastic. And we've had times where she's had seizures during those or she just gets so fatigued at times, just, you know, your immune system's attacking your body, you get pretty fatigued. And her determination to go back into those lessons and put on her little tutu and be like the other little yeah, girls. Like and sometimes that means, you know, just sitting in the corner in a tutu, just doing the arm movements because she's too tired to actually physically stand. And sometimes it means doing a whole hour of dancing with the other girls. And, you know, I think once you see that passion, we've seen it come through in different ways with our kids differently. Campbell, our middle guy, has just done um, his first musical. He's into performing arts oh, fantastic. and dance yeah. and drama. Um, he was in the Beauty and the Beast musical and seeing his face on that stage, I've never, ever seen someone more at home and more in love than he was at the time. Yeah. And, you know, you've spoken to Thomas about his love for AFL and, you know, no one can give you statistics better than that kid. He certainly gave some Richmond yeah. supporters quite the mouthful at the <laughs> AFL grand final that we came to because they weren't getting their stats right. So you can imagine that was a lot of fun sitting there going, please yeah. be quiet. <laughs> um, but I think that's the thing, once you've got that passion and, you know, you've got to give yourself every chance to enjoy it. No, you do. I think I think we're all sort of searching for that that element of, you know, enjoyment and purpose. And I yeah. think once you've got a taste of it, yeah. um, especially with children when they don't think too much, no. it's a bit like a dog on dog a bone, you sort of just got to chase it down. <laughs> and, it's, and it's easier yeah. to just let them run with it because it, uh, yeah. know, that, that, that fulfilment that we're all chasing, I think, you know, yeah. may as well not put too many barriers in the way. No, not at all. Um, one of the things that originally drew us to the GWS Giants, and this was before Marley even got sick, it was more just looking for a team for our kids to support, um, much to the dismay of my longtime Western Bulldog supporting husband, I must admit, but that's okay, um, was the work that the club does in the community and the genuine love and respect that you can see the players demonstrate for each other on the field. Um, what are some of your more memorable off-field achievements in your time at the Giants? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think for me, when I reflect on the Giants and you know what we what we try to do is grow, just grow things. Yeah. And I guess you know some of the things you're trying to grow. Obviously, the obvious is you're trying to grow the game, but you're mm-hmm. also you're trying to do the best way to grow the game is through connections and people and and trying to make a difference and cement yourself in the in the community. And I guess one of the great things about being the Giants is apart from the sort of like the eastern suburbs of New South Wales, <laughs> we sort of, we have the rest of it yeah. all the way, yeah. all, everywhere. And I, and I guess, you know, Canberra for me holds significance, being born there, um, yeah. got some family there, um, all the way out to, to obviously, you know, Dubbo and the wet, you know, yeah, deep nice. west of New South Wales. You sort of get to really, really spread your wings. And I, I, I think some of the things I, you know, when I reflect on what we've done is, you know, the, the stuff that's really special is, you know, the times you can go to a hospital mm-hmm. and someone can be sick, whether it be a 50-year-old, a 40-year-old or a five-year-old or, you know, yeah. Marley, and they can just smile and be removed from mm. their own perils and struggles for just a moment. Uh, yeah. And that's the stuff that has a huge amount of weight. And I feel as though that's one of the great things about being a, a footballer. And, but I think mm-hmm. specifically to, to the Giants, I, I think when I started going to schools, et cetera, the, the lack of knowledge, almost the, um, 
the hatred of the game almost. Yeah. You know, we used to get, we used yeah. to get mocked, et cetera, and you sort of have seen the change from zero Giants, yeah. Guernsey or paraphernalia at all to, to you know, you know, lots of the children bring it in for the day that you're coming and mm. that growth, the, the crowd numbers, you know, slowly, you know, going up and membership mm-hmm. going up. I, I, yeah. I think just being able to connect to such a, a diverse, um, you know, environment is something that's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me about your podcast. Yeah, yeah, I, I do one a fun one with Alison Zell where we just talk footy, and that's the that's the footy field. Do that through to the club, and that's just more just something for the club, just to you know put up the channel a bit of the inside club thingy. But I sort of started one in in, in COVID last year, the Phil Davis podcast, which was sort of yeah. born out of the idea of um, I'm football mad, a bit like Thomas. Like I, I love yeah. sport. Like sport is uh, has been the biggest thing in my life since I was about five years old when I understood mm-hmm. what it was. And I'm fascinated. And sort of once it becomes a profession, um, obviously you want to be as good as you can, but I became fascinated in the stories that are surrounded and and the Mm -hmm. other things, not so much how you kick Mark Campbell or bowl delivery or drive a car. It's been always more about like the trials, the the challenges that you face as an athlete and how you deal with that, how you deal with the sense of purpose and all those things. And I sort of got given the opportunity through ABC if I wanted to explore that and I've done 30 episodes, two, two 15 episode series um, awesome. through COVID uh, time, which has been interesting. Um, yeah. But no, it's been, it's been, it's been really enjoyable just speaking to all different types of, of people and hearing the challenges they have faced mm-hmm. um, and the different stories and lessons that they've learned. Mm-hmm. Well, you've helped us because it's the one podcast that we can all agree on to listen to in the car when we're on a road trip. So, and I think that's the thing. So much of it isn't just about sport. It's about people's lives and their stories and where they've come from and how they integrate all those experiences into their sporting careers. So it's just interesting. Yeah, related, I always found that sport sport for me is so relatable to so many other aspects of life. Uh, I guess the kick Mark Campbell, as I said before, is so unique, but I love it because I can talk to an Andrew Bogut yeah, um, I, ca- I can't shoot to save myself. I can't dunk it, but yet some of the thing resonates with me, and not even necessarily yeah, yeah. my football career, just in terms of life and all those kind of yeah. things. So that's you know that's something that I uh, have loved. I've also got to speak to some you know amazing athletes, whether it be Pat Tien and you yeah. know after his ten k, you just get to speak to so many great people. So that's been a, a huge buzz for me. Yeah, awesome. Um, look, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, We'll pop all of the links um, in the show notes to your podcast and the other things that you've talked about. Um, But, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for everything that um, you and the Giants have done for our family. Um, We really appreciate your time. Kate, my absolute pleasure. And you're doing an amazing job. And uh, send my love to Marley. And I'll see you guys soon. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. It was such a pleasure having Phil on the show. I initially approached him during the AFL season and said that I was happy to wait until the off season to record this interview. But in the meantime, he's been so generous with his time and his encouragement. And as a family, we would just like to extend our thanks to all of the players and staff at the GWS Giants for your ongoing support and generosity. In so many ways, you have put smiles on our children's faces on the darkest of days, and it is something that we will never forget. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. 
Our daughter Marley is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher, with assistance from our son and the GWS Giants' biggest fan, Thomas. Today's guest was Phil Davis. Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood Team Tally. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to my beautiful daughter, Marley. Thank you for my plasma.